Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show, you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern way. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. I've got uh, a guy that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. His name is Dustin King. He's from not too far from where I'm from, actually, in Alabama. And I wanted to get a good representative of that deep south Alabama kind of big woods setting hunting. And Dustin actually hunts a, a mix of public and private ground. So just wanted to pick his brain about how he approaches things differently on, you know, his private land lease, as opposed to the public ground that he also hunts and, you know, differences in aggression, differences in setup, differences in trail cameras and deer behavior and all that good stuff. And we really get into the nitty gritty. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy. All right. Joining me this week for the Southern Way Hunting Podcast, I've got Mr. Dustin King on the line. Dustin, how's it going? Great, man. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Glad uh, glad you could join me here. We're sitting here. This is the Monday morning, right after Alabama's opener over the weekend. You're there hunting in Alabama, so uh, man, what'd you what'd you see? You're okay. I gotta I gotta. I'm gonna preface it with this. Your weekend was eventful. Yes, I'll leave indeed. it with that, and I'll let you tell the rest of the story. So, uh, Saturday morning, I, uh, had all intentions all hyped up on, uh, getting ready, you know? So we go Saturday morning, I wake up and had a little, uh, knot on my foot. And then, uh, it kind of progressed throughout the day. I'm filming a buddy of mine, Justin Little, and we go Saturday afternoon and, uh, set up kind of in the swamp bottom on a property line 90 on the public. And, uh, about the time we're coming out, I'm feeling worse. Uh, I stop at a store to get me a Gatorade and, I get chills, so I, I was like, "Oh man, I got a fever." And at this point, it like it's it's hard to walk. And I wake up the next morning, Sunday morning, and I can barely get around. Need crutches, really and truthfully. And I showed my wife, and she was like, "Yeah, you might need to go to the walk-in clinic." So, go to the walk-in clinic, and uh, they send me straight to the hospital. So, <laughs> I go to the hospital to find out I have cellulitis uh, on top of my foot, which is a form of staph that goes into your fatty tissue. And I had started traveling up my leg, so they give me some uh, antibiotics through IV and uh, some pain medication, which was very much appreciated. And uh, here we are, Monday morning, trying to recover. Swelling's going down, but uh, still limping around a little yeah. bit. You ain't in the woods this morning. No, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> how, did the, uh, how did the opening day hunt go for you guys? Man, it was beautiful scenery. Uh, I had not climbed the tree in there yet, but the way I got – I had it picked out once we got up in the tree. It, it just set the scene, made it that much better. Uh, it was fun just being out there with a guy who has kind of come to our team this year, if you will. And uh, we had good chemistry in the tree, just a gorgeous morning. And uh, we went Saturday afternoon, but seen one day, I believe it was. And, and of course, I think she pegged us. But the, it was a great day just being out there again and appreciating the, the scenery. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, Justin, is he the other one on the lease with you? Yes, sir. Okay, I thought so. Thought so. So, yeah, give me a quick rundown. We're going to get into all kinds of stuff 
uh, that you just alluded to there. One of them is your YouTube channel and your your team, but we'll we'll get to that. You hunt a mix of public and private ground, though, and I, I want to hear a little bit about the makeup and kind of what that looks like for you. All right, we'll start with the uh, the private, the lease. So that is in uh, uh, Pike County, Alabama, which is hour 21 to the gate from where I live right here in Andalusia. And uh, the hunting is better there. Um, the lease is made up of planted pines about 11 years old, and uh, it's 160 acres, and it's got a 40-acre swamp. And uh, I'm, when I say swamp, it's like a wide-open type swamp and it's got a river running through it. It's just prime, prime bedding, uh, a lot of white oaks in there, some other oak trees. The property just sets up magical. And uh, what I do with it, I like to use it at the right time. I don't want to force anything to happen. We pick good weather days, good wind days, uh, good wind direction for our setups. So uh, it kind of stays how it needs to be, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious when it comes to that uh when it comes to that lease and kind of the way you're approaching it and we'll we'll get into more of this but but just real quick with how careful you are are you able to preserve more natural deer movement with, you know, 160 acres or are you noticing that it kind of ebbs and flows with the pressure that's going on around it? Oh man, uh, the I'm able to preserve it for sure uh we do not drive in there. There's two feeders, and uh, I, I'm I don't mind feeding, but I don't really hunt over feed. If I get an inventory of deer there, then I try to figure out where they're coming from. Right. So at the front of that property, there's two uh, boss buck feeders, and when you come through the gate, that'll be left and right about 500 yards. Well, then the property continues onto the back. Now you'll get deer on camera that you will not get at those feeders. I've got cameras set up and watch them bypass them. Uh, just winding uh, the food plots, if you will, too. And the feeders are more just like a draw spot, if you will, for the does and all that. But if you head on to the back later on in the year, like we like to do, we'll hunt kind of toward the front just a little bit, but we'll work our way to the back to where I believe the mature deer like to hang out. They only really come to the front some um, during rut or pre-rut as they're checking for the does a whole lot. Gotcha. And we can catch them in between right there. Gotcha. Man, that's something I, I want to do an episode soon on baiting, but it's like, man, it, it can be such a good tool. And if you've got a September opener like we do here in Georgia, man, oh, yeah. it can be magical. You get a September 9th or 10th or 11th opener and you got a big old corn pile sitting out there. It's like, man, that that could be lights out for your target buck that day. But at the same time, the other day, you know, here in my backyard, we've got a feeder because we like to watch the deer in the backyard. I, I don't shoot anything out here, but we like to watch them. Uh, I watched a small button buck take 20 minutes to work into that corn because yep. he's been pressured on surrounding properties. And, oh, yeah. you know, here we are a month in, and those deer act totally different on my little piece of ground here than they were acting just a month ago. And it's because they've had negative encounters with with other corn piles in the area, essentially. And, Absolutely. you know, that that a button buck's doing that, man. So you want to tell me that those <clears throat> that you know sitting over a corn feeder is a good mature buck tactic? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> not this time of year. No, and I can kind of give you a prime example on that. Uh, a couple of years ago, when we first got that lease, we had a deer we had named Tyson, and we hunted him. Uh, I want to say it was six times, 
between opening day, October 15th, and November 7th, which was good, cool weather days then and good wind direction. Well, that deer was so predictable coming into that feeder. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. And I actually told my buddy, I was like, dude, never seen this. You know, like he's going to die at the feeder. Mm. Well, one of the times he had busted me and uh, we waited about a week and went back in. And I told Noah, I said, look, man, you go there. I'd rather you kill him, honestly. And uh, he was like, well, what if he comes in? You know, I don't want to be like that. You got the lease. I was like, I do not care. Well, that deer comes in, stops behind him, just like you're talking about, for in the edge of the woods for 30 minutes and finally works his way in and Jay hooked around the feeder like that he had always did in the camera. And uh, he was able to get a shot on him right at dark, but he stood there that long motionless while my buddy was sitting there up there probably shaking like a leaf <laughs> looking at him 20-something yards. Yeah, just sitting and waiting, man. They're, they've got nowhere to be. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're in no, no hurry. All they've got to worry about doing is living. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's crazy. But, all right, tell me a little bit about the public. I mean, you got to tell me where at, obviously, on, on public. But what's the public like that you're hunting? It's, it's I'm guessing, kind of polar opposite from this little 160-acre honey hole you got. It is. Uh, that's a vast majority of land so i'll i'll name them off you know we ain't doing no pin dropping but i'll name them off uh we got geneva management area we got boggy hollow management area and we have connecticut national forest and it is mostly made up of pines however geneva has been getting whacked and clear-cutted the last couple years which i believe is doing better for it um i've seen a lot of more quality deer come off that place um, we've had quality deer on camera versus the other two places. Um, Boggy Hollow is a bow only, and there is some really nice deer down there also. But as far as, like, setting up, I try to find water and, uh, again, edges as far as the way the properties lay out when they butt up to each other, the public to the private. There's something about fence lines 90s that i just find where bucks like to travel especially if you find some blow down trees like that spot i was telling you about prior to us recording there's a blow down tree right there and for some reason they just come around it they like being around that and then working into that private going in there to bed gotcha gotcha so when it when it comes to creating well actually first before we get into before we get in too far you've also got a youtube channel where folks can go and see some of your hunts and that kind of stuff tell us a little bit about that well, uh, we started, I started self-filming a long time ago, and uh, I don't know if you remember old TK and Mike, but it kind of started out with something similar to that, <laughs> just being a big joke, you know, but yep. then uh, more and more uh, I got into it, I was like, man, you know, this is this is pretty fun. It's, it's really hard, but it's very uh, self-satisfying and rewarding whenever it does come together, and I've not been lucky enough. Something always happens to where it's hard to get the kill shot when you're by yourself, like absolutely hard. And uh, last year, I don't know if you've seen that one, but uh, I finally got the shot and, and didn't recover the buck. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's cool. Uh, I kind of like the cinematic style. Uh, I try to make it cinematic but and tell a good story behind it also. So that's kind of my aspect on the filming. Yeah, and you, and you, do, a, you do a really good job with it. It's just a matter of time until it all comes together. But, but man, you're right. I, I do some self-filming myself and um, – it's hard, man. You and you, I've decided for myself. I am a hunter first and a camera guy second. So, if I'm not going to get the shot on film, I'm still going to take the shot. Like I'm not the guy that's like, 
you know, Jared Mills or somebody who's like, man, I'm not, I'm not shooting that deer unless I can get the shot, you know, and it's got to look good in the camera. I'm like, dude, yeah. I'll, I'll throw this camera out the tree if I need to. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take, I want to get that shot. But, um, you know, last year, my buck last year, so I saw him on the third day of a, of a 14 day hunt or what was going to be a 14 day hunt. Saw him on the third day and I got an awesome video of me nicking his back strap uh, on day three. And then day eight, I was so worn down and so sick of everything. I didn't even bring the big camera with me. Uh, my little cameras died while I was in there. And that's the evening I got him. Not a dadgum camera rolling. Every time, man, there's one right <laughs> back there. Uh, that one right there. I, I was so tired of taking it and, and it's mentally and physically wearing, you know, right. It truly is. And, I was like, man, it probably ain't gonna happen. And then when you don't take it, you know, live action, there it is. <laughs> Every <laughs> single time, man. So I've gotten a lot of turkey kills on 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 film, and you know, for me now, turkey hunting without a camera, I feel naked. Like I feel yeah. like I need to have the camera with me for turkey hunting because it's just it's just different, you know. But for deer hunting, it's like it's always something with the way they come in. I think a lot of it too with being in a tree. You know, you got a lot to mess with and deal with, with the angles and stuff that can be a, a lot more difficult, but, um, man, let, let's jump over and start talking some strategy here. I, I mean, you've gone into a little bit of your strategy regarding, uh, how you treat your private land as opposed to, you know, some of this public land that you hunt on. I want to hear a little bit more though, about what goes into and informs your strategy. You mentioned earlier, you got like 10 shooter bucks on camera right now. So you got to be feeling pretty confident going into the season. I've hunted South Alabama, not far from where you hunt, for a long time, and I've never gone into a season and said to myself, I've got 10 shooter bucks on camera, and I feel real good about it. So uh, tell me a little bit, maybe just yeah. from the very beginning, how you're approaching these properties, what you're doing with off-season scouting, what you're doing during the summer, where you're hanging these trail cameras, how you're putting all the pieces together to be sitting here in October and think, man, I got a really good shot this year. All right, so uh, off season, as soon as deer season ends, uh, I'm automatically scouting. Uh, you know, you can find the fresh rut sign uh, still left over because our rut really doesn't come in until between the lease and down here beginning in January. You start seeing some sign or, uh, late December, but so our season ends February 10th, so I attack then. And uh, I really think about where the bucks would like to be. And man, I know, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but thick, like our bucks, if you go in some of these places, a boy, you come out a man, like it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I really try to find those hard places and then I look for tracks. Then I, I try to look for rubs also think about how the deer moving just based off past experiences and history with a, a lot of good bucks on camera. So right now, um, I had found, this is a prime example. Uh, I'd found a select cut with probably some 30 year old pines in it and they're all spaced out. I would say 30 to 40 feet. I mean, this is a vast select cut. Well, there's a little Oak head that comes to a point and it ain't no wider than 20 yards off that select cut. Well, I'd put a camera there last time I was home, so two months ago roughly, and I made a mock scrape. Well, I had one pretty good buck right there, and for down here, pretty good buck, 110, 115 inch, you know, especially on public. So I was like, all right, that's nice. Well, when I got home uh, 
this time I went back and kind of dissected the area a little bit more after seeing that and put a camera facing that select cut right on the edge of that oak uh, head, that oak point. The amount of bucks that were bypassing that little oak head and coming to the soybean field was unbelievable. Mm. Um, the fact that that camera, like Noah had told me, the fact that that camera picked these deer up in that slick cut, because this stuff is, is up there, you know, it was unreal. And one of these books, I'll be sure to send you some videos, so there's some validity to this. <laughs> you can actually see him. Uh, he's probably got six or seven-inch brow tines. He has to turn his head to kind of go under one of these limbs, like in that slick cut. So there's at least four right there that are, are really good bucks. And as a bow hunting spot, that specific spot doesn't set up that good, but I do know the area that they're in now. So what we'll have to do, all those videos, I mean, of course, it was velvet early season feeding on the soybean field that didn't look in that great a shape uh, not long ago. Um, we'll have to back off in there a little bit more. They'll eat all in that select cut, the poke salad, their stuff all out there. Um, I've seen deer eating leaves. I didn't even know they eat this year because I run a lot of cameras on video. I like to uh, see how they how they act in those areas. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump into the the idea of buck bedding and buck travel. So you talked about um, – you know, basically you're starting with where it's thick, right? And you're going to confirm what's coming through there with the tracks. Um, is there anything else going into the buck bedding? I mean, I, I hear my northern brothers right now screaming. Uh, what about the, you know, leeward sides of ridges? And what about the this and that, you know, places where the media tells us that bucks bed? Do you see a lot of carryover from what we see common in, you know, hunting media as far as where you find bucks bedding, you know, do you see a lot of that carrying over to where you're hunting actually down in the deep, deep South or is it just like a, man, we got to get boots on the ground and cover this whole thing, man. You have to have boots on the ground and, and cover this whole thing that, that, you know, I cannot say this buck, this is his bed. This is where he sleeps two or three hours, gets up, meanders around, comes back here. That's absolutely not true for where we live. These jokers can bed anywhere. And uh, you can kind of feel it after being in there. You might know you're in that area. Uh, prime example, Noah, last time we was home, dove off in a swamp. He said he could he could just picture bucks bedding, and it was in this tall grass, kind of like on this island in the middle of the swamp. He said he took one more step, and three of them jumped up 20 yards from mm. him and took off. But they could be there, or they could be laying in the middle of a clear cut. Now, they don't like to get hot just like we do. They, you know, they, they will be in that clear cut and like a shaded type from what I've noticed, but it's not a primary spot. I, there's no telling how many beds a mature buck actually could have down here in the deep south. Right, and they it seems like they've got in the local area. what's that? You just know you're in the local area of a, a bed type area, you know? Right, right, and that's where, you know, that to me is one of the big differences when I, because I hunt in Wisconsin as well, um, which, you know, it's a long way from home, but man, the the deer up there and the hunting up there is just so good. I tell you, it brings me back every year. But um, the if you find a watch a buck get up out of his bed there in Wisconsin one one evening, you can probably slip in, you know, however farther you need to to get close to that bed, and he's very likely going to stand up out of it the next day. Yeah. Um, you know, he and he'll have three, four, five, six beds around a, 
a piece of ground where he's or six small areas where he's betting around this piece of ground. Um, but I feel like when you get down here in the deep south, man, a lot of times you run into he didn't have six different areas where he bets. He has sixty, you know, or yeah. or, or whatever. I mean, it's it, it seems to be a much higher number just because the the quality betting cover, at least when it comes to thickness, is not a limiting factor down here. So we got to start looking at other limiting factors. What are the what are the other things? Like you just mentioned, one shade. You know, if we got a nice big clear cut, well, that's a bunch of cover. It's like, yeah, but the best beds are going to be right over there where it's nice and shady, or right over here where it's you know there's a little creek that cuts the corner of it right over here, or or whatever. There's something else in there that's that's adding to it. Are you noticing anything about how these bucks get up and begin to travel? I mean, you mentioned the soybean field there. And how, you know, they're working their way out to that soybean field. Are you, are you noticing anything about how they're traveling as far as using the terrain, using the cover, uh, using the vegetation? Or, you know, is it just kind of willy-nilly? Because, um, man, I'll be honest with you, I, I grew up hunting with a father who is from Michigan. And so we went out to the deer woods, and we started looking for trails like he's used to in Michigan. And we just concluded there's not, there can't be any deer out here because there are no trails like there's not a you know it, it the deer just seem to be different so um yeah tell me about your experience with that so if you find like a real heavy trail generally that's those mm. i like to find the faint type trails and it can be so minute when you do see it it could just be a single mature buck trail and that's it but you have to really look for those small things and as far as terrain there is a uh, a road uh, unnamed road that has a trail I noticed last year coming off this bank of uh, obviously I figured it was does but me thinking this was a very inconspicuous area off the public I mean a slither of woods well uh there's a, a creek that runs and from this beaver pond across the road into this slither of woods so I uh, went in there started investigating and putting cameras out and what I found out is these bucks would start from deep in this slither and start working their way to this road at night so they would cross over and uh, that led to one of them being harvested but it's neat how they think about you know I'll hold up in here all day and I'll go over here at night right you know and uh, in this same spot we have went down further south and there's a beaver pond and a, a root beaver dam. I've never seen anything like it. It's like a natural beaver dam, about three foot tall. Well, all summer long, I've had a camera on this faint buck trail going right over this little beaver dam, and it's a wide kind of open swamp area on it. These deer, it, it love the video, man, because you see how careful they are. They stop prior to this three foot dam, and you see them winding, and then you see them take a couple steps and look over. And then they get to the top of it and they stop and it can be, you know, the video ends, but they don't tell how long they stand there prior to going on over. Cause I only had 30 seconds on video, but they're that careful in their movement. Every move is calculated, which is unique to see. Right. Right, man. I, I want to dive into, um, you know, your cameras that are on these more faint trails, because one of the things that I have, um, been trying to ask a lot of folks about just to see what their experience is. Um, is the consistency of bucks. Like when you say, hey, I've got a good buck that I'm hunting, what are you saying as far as his consistency on trail camera? So growing up, watching hunting media, you know, you see these outdoor channel whatever, and they're showing you the pictures of these bucks that they got. 
and you see a picture of him coming out into the field in the evening and a picture of him going back to bed in the morning. And the next day, here he comes again. The next day, you know, he's going back to bed. And it's like, man, they get a picture of this deer every single day on this camera coming out of his bed and then one going back to his bed. And I always felt like that's the kind of consistency that I needed to have to feel like I had confidence that I was on a deer. Um, the more I talk to guys who kill a lot of deer, and you've got a bunch of them on the wall back behind you, and I know you got even more than that, um, what kind of consistency are you looking for when you're hanging a camera on, you know, a little faint trail kind of thing? Like, what's enough for you to say, okay, he's in here? How often? Man, if you give me once a week, I'm game. Okay. All right. But the cameras are right now that I am seeing – are increments of three to four days of them coming through and they're not using, they'll come through that way. Now they may come back in another way, but I at least know I got them 50% of the time, right? which is better than none. Right. Right. You got them once. I was talking to, um, to Clint Campbell from truth from the stand podcast. And he was one of the first ones that kind of said his thoughts on, um, you know, this consistency piece. He's like, if I get a deer on, my camera i assume he's been you know basically within shooting range of that camera three more times at least like i I, he's crossed behind it he's crossed out of range of it he you know and and clint's a big woods guy he which you know it's while it's in pa i think big woods hunting in the northeast is more like hunting in the deep south than you know we don't have a lot in common with guys over in the midwest necessarily but if we talk with the folks from the northeast i think i think they've got a lot that that we have at least some in common. Um, and so I think that that's an important piece. So once a week you're, you're feeling like you're pretty confident. <clears throat> Are you noticing anything when it comes to, uh, you know, weather, wind direction, any of that kind of stuff where you're able to put together, you know, a buck's preference. And I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking this question. I hear a lot of guys say, well, down here in the South, really doesn't matter. The bucks don't care. Weather doesn't matter. Wind doesn't matter. They're just out here doing their thing. You know, they can be here today, a mile away tomorrow. And that's kind of true. But I think there is some room there to say, well, we do see some consistencies in his pattern. So are you noticing anything when it comes to preferred wind directions or weather patterns that seem to get them moving through a specific area? Yeah. And that, that all depends on the, uh, the lay of the land also, you know, um, on the lease, if the wind is blowing to the south, that water is also traveling to the south, and that's something else like that water carrying the scent down. Them deer will travel against that grain, against the wind, against the water, and it's like everything's amplified. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many bucks we've seen in the last three years. And I, once I kind of re- seen what was going on, I reverted back to when I was 18 all the way. I'm 34. Thought about all the bucks I'd seen, and most of them were traveling against water. And it was like a light bulb come on of, hey, there's something to this about this scent being carried down, maybe even amplified. And we've actually got some video of a doe smelling the water really, like, hard, like if she was trying to pick something up. You know, it was unusual. Right, right. But I do notice that. And uh, right now, I would say Noah's on a, a wind pattern with his bucks. He's got these two shooters that's been coming in. And uh, northwest wind on these white oaks that they're eating on is, is what they're like. And he actually went in Saturday and uh, thinks that they might have 
he might have bumped them without knowing it. And it was kind of slap in the face. He didn't see anything. They'd been in there seven days in a row. Hmm. He goes Saturday morning, nothing. Saturday afternoon, he don't go. They're there. And yesterday morning, they're back there again. So. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> Definitely bumped them. Yeah, ch- chances are they knew they knew he was there, man. That's a, that's a killer. So let's touch on that topic then. That's something that's pretty big right now. A uh, lot of folks talking about feed trees and, you know, deer using them in the early season. It's it's a no-brainer. Yes, deer like acorns, deer like persimmons, deer like to eat food, you know, uh, food that they find palatable this time of year. That's not a secret. What I think I hear a lot of folks talking about is, you know, this or that ice cream tree or this or that tree that's just the one, like they'll walk past all the other white oaks to get to this one white oak. What's been your experience with that and – you know, what, what goes into a suitable white oak where you're like, okay, this is, especially in a year like this one, I don't know if it's like it is up here, but man, it seems like everything's dropping up here, um, pretty much all over the place. So what goes into you saying, Hey, this is the tree. I kind of like the terrain that the tree would be set up on, you know, like it's, if it's like, you know, uh, I guess a, a good, what I think is a good buck, mature buck spot, as far as if I'm, I'm trying to kill a mature buck now, a doe, I feel like you can pick any really acorn tree, you know, right. it's dropping. But the whole scenario has to come together as far as the way the land is laid, as far as like travel path, this and that. If it's in a, a, a wide open area, you know, you can count that as, a, as dark pretty much in my book. Right. Dark activity. But I mainly like to try and pick out where they're coming from, which is what I've been doing on the feed trees and kind of catch them going in between because I, there is a lot of acorns dropping. Last year was unbelievable. Now I had a rough time last year. Uh, I think the only way I did kill a doe was find a select cut with one acorn tree in it. And I finally got one, <laughs> but uh, this year there's still a, a pretty good bit dropping, not as much as last year, but matter of fact, uh, when my, I do get better, uh, I've got some, uh, more tacticams I just bought. I'm going to go put them on my lease in the back and try to catch them heading to these feed trees. What I, what I think is feed trees as far as isolated ice cream trees, man, I don't know enough about all that. I just know if the acorns are dropping and they look good, like I've seen deer eat them, I'll, I'll be hunting where they're coming from, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's the that's the secret sauce when it comes to, you know, trying to kill a deer on white oaks or persimmons or whatever it is early in the season, man. It's, it's not so much about that tree of like, "Mm, that's the tree that really tastes good to them. It's about what's around it. You know, what's the terrain, what's the vegetation like leading up to it? Like, can a buck get up in an area where he feels comfortable, where it's real thick and he's bedded and follow some other real thick stuff all the way right up to that feed tree or that oak, that white oak. And if it's the case, then yeah, that's probably the one he's going to go to. I I think it has less to do with oh, this is the ice cream tree, you know, the, this one this one tastes better than the others or or whatever. But um, did you see that graphic recently? That I think it was, I think it was the National Deer Association that showed on years when the when the acorn crop is up, hunter success is down, and then the years when the acorn crop is down, hunter success is up. I did see that, man, and uh, I can attest to that last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting. I mean, we've we've always kind of, you know, noticed that with our food plots and whatever. You know, the, the years where you got a bumper crop of acorns, it's like, well, I guess we'll see them in the food plots in December, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be there in October and November, 
you know, absolutely it's, not. It's, it's going to be I a mean, while. And you don't, you don't know where they'll be. They, you know, they're milling creatures. And when you have acorns like we had last year, my gosh, you didn't know where to go. I, I put in so many hours and never even seen a deer last year until that select cut acorn tree. Oh man. How did, so with that going on, what was it like hunting at your lease last year? Were you, were you having a rough time there too? We were uh, initially, and then as the year got went on and the acorns started dying, something we was noticing, and I actually I noticed it and then heard it on another podcast, is that water rising and then lowering was throwing acorns on the edge of that swamp, and the mm. deer were trailing it real heavy, eating them, and they wasn't coming up to the uh, the travel areas that we were hunting. They were just staying in the swamp, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I, I saw something or heard something about that recently, too. Some guys were – uh, hunting in a creek like a like i guess it was like more like a seasonal ditch and a lot of the acorns had um i guess flowed with some water and pulled up right in one spot in the bottom and so it was basically like a big feed pile you know just oh, yeah. this huge pile of acorns and uh the deer were in there hitting them pretty hard but let's talk a little more about your trail camera strategy man it sounds like you might run quite a few yeah, um, I, I'm not no, uh, I forget his name. This guy, how many he's got? 300 or so. I got a. Uh, oh, is that the dude from Kentucky? I think so. Yeah, that's Reese. Reese Johnson. That dude, yeah. that dude's got a pile of cameras. Bro, I don't know. I'd be divorced <laughs> if I had that many. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I've got 18. Uh, I'd have to count them today. I, I used to be able to remember all of it, but life's so busy now. Uh, uh, I have them. I have them all marked on Onyx. So, I think eighteen as of yesterday. I bought two more. Okay, nice. And are they all sell? Or are you still running some standard SD cameras? Standard SD cameras for uh, video and and uh, the public land. Luckily, nothing's been snatched down there, and I've really not seen any traffic in the places I go, which is kind of surprising. I have to be careful with the video because uh, where I did shoot the buck last year, I think somebody kind of picked it out and I noticed a little bit of foot traffic in there, but uh, you got to gotta be careful with that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. I think I, I put an obvious Dude, last, uh, last fall, I was posting all kinds of stuff on Instagram and, you know, I was following my hunt, like giving updates and here's, you know, here's the view from the tree and all the stuff, man. And I go out that afternoon, and I get to the parking lot, and um, there's another hunter there. So I walk up, and I introduce myself and uh, just say, hey, man, just want to see where you're going. I'm going to make sure we're not stepping on each other's toes. And he was like, yeah, man, I know who you are. I just got done watching all your stuff on Instagram. I'm going back in here. I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> all right, well, that's the, that's the end of that. So you can see this shift if you go back and look at my story that I was posting back then i went from like all this stuff like posting all the videos like hey look out in front and see what i'm looking at to everything's like a close-up of my face now you know it's like you don't get you're not gonna get nothing like nobody else gets to find out where i'm gonna be but um, that's wild and that's funny uh too because last year there was somebody shooting a rifle on the public down here where we were hunting at and i'm like my gosh like you know give it a break right yeah well, uh, I went to ride down there and, and see what was up because me and Noah was just dragging a doe out. And uh, it, it was a, a family with kids, and they were letting kids shoot guns, which was cool. Um, but I started talking to them, you know, and uh, I was like, look, man, y'all just have a good day. You know, I didn't really know what was going on, but people are hunting. But if it's the kids, that's fine and dandy. Sure, Dude. right. Well, uh, they actually commented on my YouTube video later that night. I was like, man, 
I'm pretty sure you pulled up and talked to us earlier this afternoon. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh man, now they know where we're hunting at, you know? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. They, uh, you, you gotta watch that, man. You gotta watch. It's kind of a double, double-edged sword. I mean, it's awesome to get to share what you're seeing and, you know, share some knowledge if you're learning some good stuff. But at the same time, it's like you want to share, but not too much. <laughs> That's right. That's so, right. Um, but yeah, let, let's continue on the road of cameras. So where are you, where are you hanging these, especially, you know, this time of year, um, you know, how is it, it feels weird here in the deep South to talk about the, the, the rut or the pre-rut coming up because, you know, I, I know here in Georgia, we're, we're getting, we're getting pretty close. We're, we're, you know, a month away, under a month away from the absolute best time of the year, three weeks away. Now, two weeks away, we're going to start seeing some good pre-rut activity, maybe even still start seeing some already. Where you're at, though, man, you're so far out of of any kind of rut activity. I hunt in northern Mobile County a little bit, uh, you know, there in Alabama as well. I mean, we're talking February 1st through 10th. That's like our – that's go time for us. But uh, where are you hanging these cameras at? Are they all on, you know, travel routes, that kind of stuff? Are you finding scrapes, you know, early season scrapes that you're trying to hang them on, or, or what are you doing? So I do have a, a few on early season scrapes that I've had a few smaller bucks that I've yet to find the – I'm actually on the hunt for a, a really nice deer. I know he's – I know I'm close because I got his running buddies on camera on that scrape, but I ain't got him. Um, But, yeah, I got a few on uh, summer scrapes, and – uh, mainly just the trails heading to food. I have zero on feed trees right now, but my strategy is like, I feel like if I could find the travel areas that that really doesn't change that much because there's an abundance of food where I'm at. There's not a select source of food, you know, right there. If you're in that general area, they don't have to go far. So that's kind of how I feel about where I'm placing the trail cameras. Now, the two that I have on my feeders and uh, at the lease, they're getting a bunch of young bucks, you know, the class of 2025, 20, 26 in daylight right now. And the activity I feel like is about to increase this week. I honestly hate that I'm hurt or I would have been in the woods today. But with the, I, I'm kind of a believer in the moon phases, uh, it's going to increase this week. And I feel like there's going to be some more or better mature bucks die toward the weekend also. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, first of all, the, the consistency of activity, it sounds like is what you're going for with those, you know, travel routes, or I'm guessing you probably lump in some terrain and vegetation features with that as well. Hard edges and, and that kind of thing. Yes, that's right. Uh, like if, uh, you know, I, I really like water also, I'll find creek bottoms and say, you know, like at that one spot, it'll have 12 year old planted pines right there beside it. Well, then I here is select cut. So then you got your bedding and then the way the water ties in right there, it's just perfect for a travel route. And that's really what I look for is just good travel routes. And like I said, majority of it's pine. So I try to find those edges. I don't know if you want to call them hard edges uh, personally don't know how that's defined, but definitely the edge of something. Right. Right. So yeah, those, those, uh, those food sources can just change too quickly, man. Unless you've got a feeder that stays full year round or you've got food plot that's sitting there year round, you know, it, it those can be tough as far as, um, you know, for, for pictures, but, uh, all right. So let, let's jump in and, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, your strategy moving forward then. 
Um, you know, what are what are some of the next things as far as, you know, with these bucks that you're seeing, how are you going to begin to adjust and try to, I guess, tighten the screws on them a little bit? Um, yeah. So the, uh, the one place where we want to go to next is a section on logging road, and they had picked corn on the private, and there's a fire lane, and the bucks have been coming out. If the land tapers like a ridge, just like this, and down here our terrain is not that steep. You know, our, our ridges are maybe eight, ten feet in elevation, but it matters. Right. They they do travel them, and even the slightest elevation, you could call that a ridge, and they do travel them. So these bucks have been traveling this ridge, going to this cornfield all year long that they had planted. Well, now it's cut. Now they got a bunch of green vegetation growing. However, I feel like later, as we go on later in the year, sitting right on the edge of this fire lane, that uh, we, we're going to start diving back deeper to where they're coming from because the activity, nighttime wise, is probably going to increase with everything shedding velvet. I mean, they become different creatures. You know, right. they definitely do. So right. you got to kind of zone in more to where they're coming from. Yeah. When are those deer shedding around you? Unfortunately, right now, if not a week ago. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I was wondering that, man, because I see so many people talking about, you know, September and, and that's kind of how it is here in, in Georgia that you got a chance at a velvet buck early in the season, but pretty much by the time you hit the 15th, 16th, they're, they're pretty much shed out. Um, man, I remember being a kid in Clark and Wilcox County hunting there and, We'd see velvet bucks October twentieth, October twenty second. You know that was that was normal for for there. I mean, and that was about the time though that you'd really start to lose them all. But let's jump into the moon topic a little bit. I'll be honest with you, I've never done a podcast on the moon. I have intentionally avoided the subject <laughs> in, in in a lot of ways. I've asked a couple guys about it a little bit more here recently because. I'm becoming more and more like, I guess, curious about it. I did read the books when I was a kid, man. I jumped all in on it, you know, but the ground we hunted sucked so bad. It didn't matter what the moon was doing what the weather was doing. We weren't seeing anything anyway. You know, we just, we weren't good enough hunters and the ground we were on wasn't good enough. Didn't hold enough deer. Um, you know, the moon wasn't going to help us out. The moon couldn't put one in front of me, you know? Um, now though, that I'm into targeting older age class deer or, you know, making sure I'm making sure that I'm hunting areas that are good areas and I need that edge, right? Like I need that extra 30 or 50 yards of movement in a morning or in an afternoon. Um, Now all of a sudden the moon is starting to matter to me a little bit more. So can you just dive into your thoughts on the moon, how it affects deer movement and, and maybe when you're seeing the best movement in mornings and evenings? So the best movement to me, mornings and evenings, is the 48 hours prior to the full moon, them two days. And then the full moon day, I have killed a a pretty good amount of bucks from 10 to 2 on a full moon week and just in general. But I feel like after that full moon day, those 48 hours after are also crucial too. So there is a five-day window with that one day in between to where that's going to be my midday type hunting the 48 prior 48 after good movement i'm mid mornings mid afternoons but like you said you you related to it right there as far as being in the buck moving area now i'm not saying a food plot this is going to happen you have to be where that travel 
natural area is in order to see what I'm talking about. Right. Right. And that's, that's really good. That what I've noticed it since I was a kid and it's, it's stayed consistent on through now. And it's, it, it doesn't inform whether I'm going to hunt or not, but it has created times that I'm like, "Mm, I wasn't sure if I was going to go, but the weather's looking right. And I got the moon on top of it. Like, okay, now I'll, I'll, you know, I'll end up going. It's not going to, it's not going to keep me out of the woods necessarily. You know, if it's not a good moon day, but if I'm kind of on the edge, maybe it'll inform that. But man, if I see a moon that is, um, you know, not going to set until eight in the morning, seven forty-five, eight o'clock, I feel like that's going to be a good morning. You know, if it's still hanging, you know, as the sun's rising, that moon's still hanging. I'm like, okay, this it's go time. Or if I can get one where the moon's coming up in an afternoon, four thirty. 445, you know, you can start to see the moon over the trees before the sun goes down. It's like, well, I guess that's later in the season. I don't, I don't know what time it's getting dark over there right now. But, you know, moon comes up 45 minutes or an hour before daylight or before before dark. I feel like those are the moments that, you know, it's going to get those deer to give me just that much further. Just a, just a little bit more, you know, maybe he moves an extra 50 yards in daylight or, or whatever the case may be. Talk to me about these. Uh, talk to me about these these midday hunts, man. I gotta, I gotta know more. You're hunting the full moon, middle of the day. Where are you hunting to capitalize on that movement? And what do you think is going on? Why are they moving midday, having to do with that moon? What does that? How does that impact them? So where we live, there's a a myth of a December lull. Everybody thinks these bucks have went into a hole in the ground and they are getting charged up for January rut. Yep. And that is false information. So middle of December, um, and, and this is when I truly became a believer. Um, I was hunting a full moon week. It was full moon day, December 12th, 2009. Killed my biggest deer at 1 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, 145 and a half inch, 11 point. Shoo. And Wow. Yeah, that one, well, that one right there, actually. Oh, big boy. Um, and I was ecstatic. Now I looked in, I already knew what I was doing, but I dove off into it even more. And I've actually since then killed several more in the middle of December, calling the shot on a full moon week. Now where I'm at is in these, I like water. Like I said, I'd found some rub lines. I, I like finding rubs cause there's some rubbing going on and you know, you're just in the general area, you know, I know there's a lot of nighttime activity talk about rubs and scrapes, but, the magic does happen around that. You, you can be in that area and that moon will influence some daylight activity. Why it does it, I have no idea, but I've seen it and I've seen it a lot. I've told other people to go hunting right here on this full moon week and see what happens. I've seen multiple deer killed during the middle of the day like that. Interesting. Interesting. So are you are you trying to get in tight to betting at that point? Or are you just trying to be on good travel? Good travel. Good travel. All right. From the demeanor of these bucks, do you think they're out looking for does early? Do you think they're out getting a bite to eat? You think they're shifting beds? What do you think's going on? I think they're just eating, to be honest okay. with you. Uh, last year, this one was a good one. It was a full moon week. Actually, this was a, this was rut. Maybe it wasn't a full moon week. No, this one this one wasn't rut, uh, or it was rut, but not a full moon week. He was uh, actually following what I thought was a single doe. Um, 
travel area, came by where I had a tacticam set up. He had been on that tacticam all year long as far as like here and there, right? Well, he ended up bypassing me. I'm fine, dear. Ended up bypassing me, but he was rutting in. However, if you back up to December when I was getting him on camera, it was more of like a traveling, I'm laying my my territory down. Interesting. Kind of travel. Okay. All right. That's super interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I you know, a lot of folks talk about the October lull, but, you know, as you said, for us growing up, we talked about the the December lull, you know, is after that first two weeks, I mean, opening a rifle and the weekend after Thanksgiving are typically pretty good. And then after that, you know, things can, things can get a little sketchy, but you know, pretty much every deer has been shot at by that point. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. All right. So we're talking December midday movement. I'm going to have to, that's, that's a whole other episode. We got to do more on that. We got to do more on that. All right. So let's jump into one thing that, you had messaged me about a while back, something that I think we want to address. Let's talk about patience when it comes to hunting deer, especially on, um, you know, on your lease property. But I want to throw a curveball into it or maybe a, a monkey wrench into the, th- into the plan here. Um, are there times that you're being patient on public ground? Like, do you have spots that you're confident enough in that you say, hey, other people aren't coming in here? Or, you know, this this is enough off the wall, this is enough out of the way that I feel like I'm going to be patient on this specific spot of public and maybe not just be totally aggressive all the time. So let's, let's hit the, cut, the, the private land piece first, talking about patience, but then we'll, we'll switch over to public. All right, private land, um, it's tough because you know what's there and you know what could happen. However, if you take that chance and generally you get busted, it's not good for the rest of the season for that deer. You, you might not see him again. Right. Or he goes uh, loco like we had that one that I shoulder shot last year where I shoulder shot him at. That deer had never been there. Never. He come in, worked that scrape. Why he done it, I have no idea. But he had been uh, he had busted Noah prior and vanished and then bam there he is a month later like Mm. the oddest thing so i try to sure enough really check multiple wind apps and and you know nobody's really 100 percent accurate but it's it does help and pick them good weather days like this week coming up like this is this is going to be good i believe and it pays off now a lot of times I'm bow hunting, you know, so I really don't get to see the pro, uh, show the product of, of what I do see. But however, the activity seems to be good when you are patient enough to pick those right wind weather days. Right, right. So then transferring that over to public ground, I mean, man, there's so many factors on public ground that, you know, that deer's pattern may change super fast. Uh, he may get bumped by other hunters. That spot may get blown out by other hunters. Like, who knows? who is going to go in there and win? What does that look like there? Are you just like flat out aggressive all the time? No, uh, I'm really not aggressive. Kind of a funny story last year. Uh, I picked, it was three days of bow season to hunt where I, I rifle shot that buck at. And it was all, you know, in my mind, I've got this set up just right. Well, I feel like 
the travel path that they were using, somehow they was catching me, and I, I was unsure. But uh, opening day of rifle season, I didn't even know it was rifle season, man. That's how much of a bow hunt. I was seeing people post stuff on Facebook with rifles, and I text Noah. I was like, bro, what are these jagaloons doing posting <laughs> rifle pics on Facebook? <laughs> he, said, he said, it's rifle season. I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, well, I'm about to kill one this afternoon because the temperature is supposed to drop off even harder. Why well, kid you not, man? I felt like Babe Ruth calling the shot. It's on video walking in. And uh, I set up 220-something yards, I think. I said, this is about the only way I think I'm going to kill one of these because of the slither of land the way it is. And I didn't give them three opportunities on what I feel like I should have killed them on those days. And I'll be dang. They, they come out that afternoon, and, and one of them got a ride home. So, Man, that is that the one – didn't is that the one where you like fell in some water afterwards or something yeah. like that? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I thought I was like, that sounds like could have been that one. That was a big deer, man. Yeah, I actually didn't even, I was so focused, man. I ain't even gonna lie, that video is kind of bad, but I shot at that one that didn't even move, you know. Yeah. I didn't even see the other bucks. No kidding. Yeah, like I was just that focused. And when uh, I seen that other buck jump out, Everything was kind of blurry, so I was like, well, dang, he done run in the woods and come back out. So I was like, I got another opportunity. So I shot him, and when I seen him go down, I was like, all right, got him. Well, I watched the video later. I'm like, oh, man, all definitely of them was a, out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely a different deer. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that, that's awesome, man. So uh, did you did you score that deer by chance? I don't. I'm not really a big uh, – I mean, he's got to be a show enough fine one for me to score him. You know, right. like – I kind of got an idea, but man, I, I've seen people's smiles go to frowns, buddies of mine that want me to score mm. them, and I, I just can't deal with it. I, right. You, you killed a six and a half year old, hundred and ten inch animal. I've got one that's probably ninety five inches. I know is eight years old right there, and I don't care. That deer is old as he can be, and that's all I care about. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I was just curious on that one because I was like, you got over there too, and I was like, man, that's a, that's a big deer. Like that's a, that's a big deer. He, yeah. he he didn't he looked bigger once you got over to him you know oh, yeah like for sure yeah I'd, I'd say weight wise he was probably 190 190 yeah probably weight wise 190 okay. rack wise if I had to guess I'm gonna say 115 115 all right all right well man what do you got what do you got coming up we're sitting here you're you're at home uh are you gonna be getting out in the woods this week what's it gonna look like well, if these uh, antibiotics kick in and keep working, hopefully uh, I'll be out tomorrow. Okay. All right. How's <laughs> we got uh, kids, kids out of school Wednesday, so I'll be a daddy daycare Wednesday. Get to get, get to spend the day with them, so that'll be fun. Yeah, very good, man. How's how's the wife feeling about you getting out with a with a gimped up foot? Well, she uh, obviously is against it. So <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> I kind of do my own thing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's good. Hey, it's hunting season, man. You got to get out there. It only lasts for so long, right? Yeah, and I explained that to her. You know, I, I do got a, a really good good wife, and she appreciates the uh, the natural protein, you know, the, everything the hunting offers. She really appreciates it, and the kids have kind of got into it. I got four-year-old twins, and they ask about it, like looking at pictures and all that. So it's pretty neat. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, Dustin, man, where, where can folks find you if they want to learn more, want to see some of your videos, want to see that buck I was just talking about? 
Well, uh, it's hard earned on YouTube, and then uh, it should be Dustin King on uh, maybe Dustin King Seven on Instagram will be the handle there. And uh, if you like what you see, give us subscribe, and hopefully we'll have some more quality videos this year. Like I alluded to, we're going to try and take turns doing the filming of each other and try to paint a better picture, if you will, get it all all laid out for y'all. Yeah, man, that that works so much better when you can have a camera guy, but. Dustin, man, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Guys, I'm going to link uh, Dustin's YouTube channel as well as his Instagram in the show notes. So, uh, you know, if you want to want to find more from him, uh, they'll be linked down below. But, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck this season. I appreciate you having me. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that. Until next week, let's keep doing things the Southern way. 